Well, uh, we have John today, Brother John. Uh, does everyone know John? No. You guys don't know? Uh, how long have you been going to CBC? I think this month will make it a year. A year? Okay, so he's been at CBC. I met him there uh, at an evening service. And uh, you guys, you know Jeremy pretty well, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, more so since you guys have come down here, oddly. He's, he was going to the home group. Oh, uh, great. For a couple of weeks. But Good. Then, what home group was that? Andrew Arcelis. Arcelis. Okay. Great, great. Well, it's good to have you. John, what's your last name? De Carmo. De Carmo. De Carmo. From Napa, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. Andre a couple times. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, uh, here we are. We're here. Are you guys getting ready for this inaugural? <laughs> My goodness. Do you have, have you noticed that when we just make a little change, it affects everyone, huh? So we uh, so it's good that we have these practice runs, and um, but I just don't want them to be practice. I actually want to uh, actually want them to glorify Christ and to be edified. So um, we've got some great things that are happening that are coming down the line. Uh, we've got um, you know a lot of purchases that are coming as far as equipment is concerned, and we're going to reorient um, the room. And I know that seems simple, but it's actually a little bit more difficult when we have our own equipment. So we're real excited. Uh, I just uh, am just encouraged but just by how much work you guys are putting in and the labor you do for Christ. I know it's for Christ. I know it's for Christ. Um, would you turn with me to Jude? We want to uh, look at this text. And I, I, the reason why I picked Jude is because we started this in home group, and I'm looking at the calendar, and I know we're not going to have time to finish it. So I want to do it this Sunday and then next Sunday for Jude. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll be able to have our inaugural, and then we'll start in Ephesians. That's, uh, I think that's going to be a good, meaty book for us. We're going to go line by line, verse by verse, so that we come as our own local identity as a local church. Uh, I anticipate there to be uh, quite a number of people coming to the inaugural service, and it'll be an encouraging time. But uh, we want to go back to what the message of Jude is, and what God has uh, in his text for you to warn you, to help you. Um, why don't we go to God in prayer? Father, thank you so much for this time. We pray you would free our hearts, free our hearts to worship you, to love you. And God, we pray that even in this time you would give us minds uh, that discern, minds that focus on Scripture, minds that focus on Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jude is the shortest book we know. And I had Jeremy read from uh, Jude chapter 5 all the way down to 25. I'm not going to preach that whole passage from 5 to 25 uh, I could do it, but we'll be here all afternoon. But I'm only going to preach verses 5 to 16. But the reason why I wanted him to read to verse 25 is because if I just stopped at 16, you'll only see the judgment of the false teachers. And you won't see the Christ uh, that Jude is actually pointing to. So, But um, the whole story of Jude is so that Christians can be discerning, so that they would not fall into apostasy. So that they would not fall away from the faith. They would not leave what they've learned. They would not leave uh, the scriptures. They would not leave Christ. I remember when I got saved at CBC, 
I was going to our church's youth group, and at that time, I lost a lot of friends because God saved me, and I didn't want to do what they did, but I also gained a lot of friends, and I remember there was one friend that I, uh, I, I came in contact with. He was a good guy. He came from a Christian household. He confessed Christ, and he seemed to be focused on his walk. But I remember as years gone by, we kind of lost touch. He went to one college, I went to another college. And what he started to do was he started to play with different theologies. He started playing with different religions. And uh, he started to look at Roman Catholicism a little bit more. And you've got to understand, we're as Protestant as we can get, right, at CBC. But he was starting to play with this. After a few years, he finally said, I am no longer uh, what you guys call a Christian. I no longer follow what, that the Bible is the only rule of thought. I believe that tradition rules. And in fact, I don't even classify myself as a Protestant anymore. I classify myself as a Roman Catholic. Yes, he went that way. And he was a friend of mine. He was a friend of yours, probably. He departed. He apostatized. The word apostatized means to leave from the faith, to go away. He now believes you must add works to Christ's work, and he doesn't believe that Scripture is the final authority. And I was shocked. That is just the basic of uh, the basic basis of Christianity. That the word of God is true. And this is the final rule of belief and practice. The Bible. But that is what my friend did. He turned away from scriptures. And he accepted tradition as binding. He turned away from sound doctrine. He turned away from Christ's sufficiency to save. And this happens over and over again. Brothers and sisters, we hear, don't you hear this? Oh, my, my kid went away to college and they, uh, the things that we taught them, they just rejected and they don't want to come back to it. That's, that's common. That's what you hear. Well, how do, we, how do we handle this? Well, God doesn't want you to be naive. I think, I think sometimes when, uh, when we have, uh, when, when, when people get into this role, role of just going to church and, and going to work, they stop, sometimes they stop discerning. They stop thinking, evaluating, <clears throat> judging. But God doesn't want you to be naive. He doesn't want you to be swept away. It absolutely matters what you believe. It is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. So this morning, God gave this passage to you so that you would guard from apostasy. I want to I just encourage you guys, brothers and sisters. He gave this to you so you could guard yourself against apostasy. Young people, from the faith that God, that uh, your mom and dad has taught you, from the scriptures that your mom and dad has taught you, brothers and sisters who profess in Christ, from the Christ that has saved you, God has given these, this passage to you so that you would guard yourself from apostasy. God desires not only that you guard yourself from the apostasy of false teachers, but that you guard your own hearts. Notice he says in verse 17, Look at verse 17. 
not only does he say, be careful of all these teachers from verses 5 to 16, but in verse 17 he says, you, beloved, ought to remember the words which were spoken beforehand by the apostles. Look at verse 20. You, beloved, building yourself up by your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory. So it's not just beware of teachers, but beware of what? This prone to wander. You understand? This prone to apostatize. And the way God does it is first by warnings and also by promise. But we're going to talk about warnings this morning, okay? Only warnings this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about God's promise in Christ, how he will keep you firm if you are indeed a true believer in him. But he doesn't do this in a vacuum. It isn't simply he's going to protect you and you don't think about it. You don't do things to protect yourself. You don't sanctify yourself from unholy thoughts, unholy actions, unholy attitudes. It is, it is not only that you must be active in that, you must be discerning in that, but also know in the end, who really, who really protected you? It was Christ himself. Right? Did you know that every day that you believe, in Christ is the power of the Savior working in you, protecting you. So go with me to uh, the passage. There's two really big sections. If you have the notes, does everyone have the notes? I think there is one copy in my backpack for John, but if anyone could email Aaron and Jenny because I forgot to put them on one, a new list, okay? So if you guys could email it to them, you can secretly do that, that's cool, okay? But there's notes. Uh, um, uh, Jeremy, can you check my backpack? It's in a blue folder. You can give it to John. Uh, I forgot John was coming until Jeremy reminded me. So we usually just do everything electronically and save some trees here. So, so to protect yourself from apostasy, to protect yourself from uh, having those kind of attitudes from an apostate heart, from going away from God, God gives you two guardrails. There are two really good guardrails. And the first guardrail, and you know what I'm talking about, a guardrail. When you're driving in the freeway and you have a windy road, got, uh, there on the road is a guardrail that protects you from falling over. So at least you can hit it and it will remind you to turn away. It may not stop the car, but at least it reminds you to turn away. And God gives you two guardrails. The first guardrail is to remember apostates from the past. Remember apostates from the past. They are a warning. Notice he says, basically, why do you bring this up, God? He brings this up so you don't do like they did. He brings this up so you don't follow them. Notice he says in verse 5, now I desire to remind you. So these people probably knew these stories of the Old Testament of people who knew what God said, who knew what God demanded, who knew what God desired of them, and walked away. They knew about these stories. And so Jude says, I want to remind you, this is what happens to those kind of folks. This is what happens to those who will not listen. This is what happens to those who are stiff-necked and stubborn. He says, I will bring it before their minds. Notice, the first story 
is a rejection of God's power. It's a rejection of God's power. Notice in verse 5, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. He goes, I know you already know this. And isn't it great, <coughs> brothers and sisters? A lot of Christianity is simply God just reminding us of who he is and what he's done. Amen? What did, what did we do last weekend? Do these things in what? Remembrance of me when we celebrated the communion. It's simply sometimes, even in your mind, when you're just going down this stream of life, sometimes all you need to hear is just a reminder. And this is what God is saying. Okay? He says, I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you of a people who have rejected my promise and who have rejected my power. They didn't think that I can do what I said I can do. And you notice he says in verse 5 that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Now, what is he saying? Well, let's rewind that back. Let's rewind that back. After he saved them out of Egypt. This is God's mighty deliverance. You guys remember the plagues? You remember that? In his mighty hand, God rescued a people out of Egypt. The Israelites, through the plagues, and the Pharaoh finally relented. And do you remember, as they were out on the coast of the Red Sea, as the Egyptians were coming, they just thought they were going to die. And God miraculously, in his power, split the Red Sea, and they walked right through, and then the Egyptians came, and then the water came crashing down and killed all of them. And when they were on the other side, they said, Look at our God! Look how powerful he is! Look at what he's done! Look at how he's destroyed our enemies and he's delivered us! You ever get into those high moments in Christianity, those mountaintop experiences? Well, that was a mountaintop experience. And now, God tells him, you need to go get this land. You remember, you need to get the promised land. And what happens is, Caleb and Joshua, they go. And they say, you know what, there, there's a lot of them, but we can take them. Let's go. We can take them. Why? Because God is on our side. You remember, guys, the God who rescued us? You remember the God who delivered us? You remember the God who worked mightily in our lives? You remember that God? Yeah, I remember that God. Well, come on. He's with us, and we can take these people. Yeah, but uh, we're like grasshoppers before them. I'm, I know you said that, but you know I don't know if you can do this now. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes we can get like that. We can have the heart that looks just like an apostate. Is that not true? You've seen what God has done in your past. You've seen over and over how he has supplied. You've seen how he has worked mighty in your life. But then comes a difficult time and all of a sudden you look like what? An unbeliever. Is that amazing? And God says, remember this. Remember the Israelites did this. Don't be like this. And notice what God did to them. He says he destroyed those who did not believe. You remember he told Joshua and Caleb and he told the people... All of these people will not come into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb. Because they believed. 
They believed I can do it. Brothers and sisters, let us not have an unbelieving heart that doesn't believe that God still works in our midst. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, so there's a rejection of God's power. How's the AC on here, man? It's kind of hot. Is it all the way, all the way on low? Thanks, brother. I like that we have a small group to kind of have these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> We're not so official. <laughs> What's that? Oh, did it go up? Oh, battery's dead. Okay. Okay, you guys can hear me anyways, right? All right. Okay. So not only is there a rejection of his power, but there's also a rejection of his wisdom. That is his design. You notice here in... Um, Jude, he talks about now angels, okay? And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. What he's talking about, I believe, here, and there's, there's different arguments back and forth, and I don't have time to go through all of them, but what he's talking about are the fallen angels who in Genesis 6, okay, in Genesis 6, left their abode, came upon the earth, and tried to pollute the messianic line so that the Messiah would not come. And I'm going to quickly bring you through that because I want to keep going. But go with me to Genesis chapter 6. Here is the story in Genesis chapter 6, just so you guys... Get the feel of where we're at. Genesis 6. In Genesis chapter 6, you notice this is right before the flood. He says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. Notice he says, now the sons of God, which I take to be the angelic realm. Okay? The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Notice, it's a group of people who come from God, a group of people who come from men. Okay? The intermingling is occurring. And took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh, and nevertheless his days shall be 120 years. Now, look at verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Now, he uses the same phrase, okay? the same phraseology. Usually, in, in, when cultures come together, there is either, uh, there's either one guy and one girl from a culture, and then a girl and then a guy from the culture that would intermix. Notice how very singular it is. The sons of God, the daughters of men. And it says here that the result was supernatural. Notice it says here, the Nephilim. The Nephilim were called giants in that time. Were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were old men of renown. And in that, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. And so he saw that even as the society was polluted and as the angels tried to pollute the messianic line because they know that the Messiah is coming, the angels tried to pollute that line, uh, God judged them through the ark. Now, how do, we, how do I look at that? Uh, look at here at 2 Peter chapter 2, and it gives us a little bit more light. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter is very related to Jude. Second Peter was saying the false teachers are coming. Jude said the false teachers have arrived. Okay. Second Peter, in Second Peter chapter 4, notice he says here, and he's talking about the same story. For if God, notice, did not spare angels when they sinned. When was that? When was that? but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. In other words, here is the story where it happens. It's when God, he did not spare them. He's put them into a prison called, uh, he's put them in a pr prison. Another name for it is called Tartarus, which will be thrown into hell. And says God did not even spare them. When did this occur? Right before Noah, okay? And so this is, uh, this is the picture of judgment. But what, why does it matter if you go back to Jude? Go back to Jude. Angels who did not keep their own domain, verse 6, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. I take that to be the same passage in 2 Peter. That is the same passage of Genesis 6. It is the angels who tried to pollute the messianic line. Peter says God took them out of circulation, put them into prison. Jude says he has them in eternal bonds and darkness for the judgment of the great day. Why? What did they do? Well, Jude tells us they did not keep their own domain. They did something that was not in God's design. They went opposite of what God has determined how relations are supposed to be. They came in the form of man, and they impregnated women to pollute the messianic line. So then why? So, uh, so they rejected the design of God. And, that's, and the reason why we could even say that, look at verse 7. In verse 7 it says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way. Okay? So in verse 7 it has, just as. And in verse 7 it has, since they, in the same way. What same way? Well, they indulge in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. What does that mean? In Sodom and Gomorrah, homosexuality was rampant. There was two angels that came to see Lot, do you remember? And the homosexuals and, and the sexual deviants and the perverts, perverts of the city, they came and they said, we would like to have relations with, with your guests. And they were going after what? Strange flesh. 
They were going after a domain that was not theirs. Now it's man who wants to have relations with angels, you see. And so what this is, all this to say is, just as in uh, Genesis chapter 6, the angels rejected the, the design of God to pollute the messianic line, in, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the men rejected the design of God and went after uh, went after angels. All this to say is, the uh, apostates reject the very design and wisdom of God Himself. The very role, the very design. So the first guardrail God gives is to, number one, remember apostates from the past. Because why? God has certainly judged it. Notice he says, as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. God has certainly judged them. But God goes even beyond history. It doesn't really help us if it's just remember what's in the past. Well, what about now? <clears throat> you always ask that question. Well, what about now? How does it help us? So number one, remember apostates from the past. But again, he doesn't want you to be naive. Rather, he wants you to be discerning as according to the scriptures and to be able to identify danger. So number one, remember apostates from the past. Number two, recognize apostates in the present. Okay? Recognize apostates in the present. Now... Now we get into this nitty-gritty, okay? How is this going to help me? Now, I know the history. I know what God did with people who turned away from Him. I know what God did with creatures who turned away from Him. But how does that help me now? Now we're going to go through what the diagnosis is of an apostate, okay? There are six telltale signs that you have an apostate. Six telltale signs that you have an apostate. And the first one is, here's how you know someone is leaving the faith or departing from the faith or is not thinking clearly, okay? Is not thinking biblically, is not thinking the way God would have them think. Number one, they think they have special revelation. That's point blank. They think they have special revelation. And you could... You could phrase this. This is how you could hear it, guys. Okay? They say this. God told me. God told me. Have you ever heard that? God told me. People will say, well, I, I think you need to do this with your life because God told me. Notice he says here, yet in the same way, these men, okay, same way as what? Same way as? As what? Same way as the angels, as Sodom and Gomorrah, as the Israelites who turn away. These are people who turn away from the faith. And if you've been a Christian for any number of years, you understand this. I didn't understand this until I came, uh, until I went a little bit, uh, grew a little bit, and had a, a little bit more years in the faith. That the people who I grew up with in youth group, not all of them are truly Christians. Not all of them were truly continue to confess what the Bible says. And after years and years, you start to see, oh, they left for this reason. They left for that reason. They left for this reason. They departed from the faith. They no longer believe for that reason. 
God is warning you to discern, to have a diagnostic. Okay. And the first telltale sign is that you have an apostate is one. They think they have special revelation. They say, God told me. You'll hear it on their lips. God told me. Yet in the same way, these men also by, notice verse 8, by dreaming. How do they understand revelation? How do they understand how to discuss about spiritual things? How do they uh, push their own authority? It is by, the Bible says, dreaming. It's interesting. By dreaming. The word there means for means imagination. It means ideas. And in fact, the Bible uses this term dreamer for a false prophet. And I'll just read it to you. You can write this down, okay? Deuteronomy 13.1 says this. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, same language, right? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, this person who's just imagining, imagining that God is speaking to them is doing it for their own manipulative gain. God spoke to me. God spoke to me. And they do this, number one, notice it says here, why do they do this? They dream so that they could defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. Number one, they defile the flesh. How do they do that? They, it literally means to stain themselves. To stain themselves of sin. I've heard it one time. Uh, one woman said uh, to a pastor friend of mine, Yes, God told me I need to divorce my husband. Is there a biblical reason? No, but God told me, My sister, you're in sin. You are breaking God's commandment. God did not say that. No, God told me. Have you ever met one of those people? You can't tell them anything. Why? Because they take an authority higher than the Bible. They take an authority of their own imagination. They take an authority of a dream. Jude calls them their dreamers. <clears throat> They rationalize their unholy living. They rationalize their rebellion. Notice it says here, they reject authority. They don't listen to the word of God. They don't listen to what the leaders who are biblical, who are following the word of God, say. I remember one time I was preaching. I won't tell you which church. No, I won't. I remember I was preaching at a church. And I, <laughs> as I came down, this guy made a beeline towards me, okay? Boom, came up to me. And he said, Angelo, he said, God is telling me to tell you that this person in the church is fighting with this person and that you need to go 
make them reconcile. And I said, God did not tell you that. God told me by his word that if there is an issue, you go to that person, not dumping it on me. Do you understand? Do you understand? But he wanted to force me to action how? By saying, God told me. Brothers and sisters, don't fall for it. Okay? Don't fall for it. Whenever someone says, God told me, I always take two steps back. Okay? This is absolutely free. Now, you'll hear me in my preaching when I say, God is telling you to do this. It's only true if it's in the text, do you understand? If the text is saying it to you right now, through his word, and it's clear from the text, then that's exactly what God is saying. God is saying that. And you could stand on that. But a lot of times, oh sorry, a lot of times, brothers and sisters, people use their own dreams and their own imagination so they can manipulate you. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You can't be manipulated, brothers and sisters. I want you to be discerning by God's grace. You can't manipulate. Just like that story I told last Sunday, do you remember, of one of our students whose fiancé was dying of tuberculosis. And the elder said, well, God told us that you should stop taking this medicine. No, God didn't tell you. You're a liar. Shut your mouth. Don't fall for it, okay? Don't be manipulated. This is God telling you. Do you understand? Do you understand? This is God telling you. Amen? Amen. Now, they rationalize their unholy living, they rationalize their rebellion, they rationalize their dishonor. Notice he says here, they revile, it says in verse 9, Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, what in the world does this mean? Well, let's unpack this case. They rationalize their blasphemy. They rationalize their dishonor. The word there, revile, means to blaspheme. And what he does is he gives a picture of Michael as he is arguing for the body of Moses with Satan, we don't see this in, in the Old Testament at all. We only see it here. So we take it as literal. We take it as this is exactly what happened. But you notice what Michael did. Michael the archangel who is high and lofty in the angelic realm. There is ranks in the angelic realm. He is an archangel above them, right? When he disputed with the devil and argued with the body of Moses, he did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment but said... The Lord rebuke you. What does that mean? Michael understood that in the end, the devil was going to be thrown in the lake of fire. He understood that God in his time will pass judgment on Satan and it will be over. But Michael understood his realm as well. And he did not overstep his authority. In other words, what he's saying is, Michael did not count himself as a pompous person did not look at himself as saying, I am high and lofty, that I would go beyond the borders of what God has caused me to be, and what God has given me, the authority that God has given me. 
In other words, what he's saying is, I know my place. Brothers and sisters, people who are apostates do not know their place. Okay? Michael didn't even dare say it. Now, how does this look? It looks like this. If you clip, sometimes, sometimes I'm, I'm uh, especially when we are traveling, I'm with various Christians of different flavors. You understand? And I remember once, uh, one time I was with this group, and they said, I remember this guy said, we bind you, Satan. We have the power to bind you. By the power of Christ, we bind you. We tie you up and we cast you away. I, I, I looked at him and said, what was that? <laughs> I looked at him and worried. How do we turn this title? I looked at him and I said, how dare you? How do you have that kind of authority? Who do you think you are? Even angels don't even do that. They won't even step up and say, that's the argument of Jew. Who do you think you are that says you could wield this power? You see, apostates, they think they have special revelation. They think they have special dreams. They think that they could do whatever they want. Secondly, they believe that their ideas are better than God's. They believe that their ideas are better than God's. Look at verse 10. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Verse 10. You could sum that up to be, yeah, I see it, but I really think we should do this. Okay. Yeah, I see it, but I really think we should do this. Notice, again, he uses that word. We revile, that means to blaspheme. And they don't even understand. They have no concept. They have no clue. I remember I told you this. Uh, uh, I was sometimes, my wife and I are kind of uh, very similar. When we listen to bad doctrine, it kind of just riles us up. We get kind of upset because it misleads people. It deceives people. I remember um, sometimes... Uh, I think it was a couple houses ago, I can't even remember, where we used to have TV. I remember we were looking at a channel, and I stayed at one of those televangelists, and Creflo Dollar was on. And he was supposedly preaching out of Philippians chapter 2. And he says, and he said, from the text it said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. So the way he took it is, he says, see where it says, have this attitude? And the attitude is what? Humility. That's the proper exegesis from the text. His attitude was, well, Jesus existed in equality with God. You are in equality with God. Do you see the blasphemy? He said, he just cut a phrase out and he said, well, just as Jesus is equal with God, you're equal with God. You're just like God. They don't understand what they are saying. They don't rely on the text. They don't, buy, notice, what do they rely on? It says here, 
the things which they know by instinct. They don't let the Bible say the uh, say what it says. They simply go off of what they think, their first inclinations. And the Bible calls them unreasoning animals or a dumb brute is really the text how the text says it. In other words, they're destructive. They don't listen. Verse 11. Verse 11. Not only do they think they have special revelation, they believe their ideas are better than God, they even repeat the sin of rebellion. And we don't have much time to go through it. But he repeats the sin of rebellion. He says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Jude shares these three aspects of where people departed from God for three different motivations. The first one is, Pain. He would not listen. He would not listen to God. His motivation was he wanted to give something better to God. He gave a different sacrifice. And when God was saying, don't sin is crouching at your door, don't listen to it, Cain says, I'm not listening to you, God. Cain is the archetype of someone who apostatizes. Cain is the, uh, he is the pinnacle of someone who hears the voice of God, yet goes away. This is why it's scary to me. It's frightening to me to have youth who hear Sunday after Sunday and still go away. It's frightening to me. The second reason is for personal gain. Balaam was going to get paid so he could prophesy good to Israel so that another army could destroy Israel. And God had a donkey for him. The third one was because uh, Korah would not undergo the authority of Moses. He said, has God only spoken to you? And the earth swallowed up Korah and his whole family. In other words, all this to say, they repeat the sin of rebellion. And people will say, well, that's not relevant anymore. But they repeat the sin of rebellion. So what are these diagnostics, these six telltale signs? First, the first one is they think they have special revelation. Second, they believe their ideas are better than God's. Third, they repeat the sin of rebellion. And fourth, they don't build up the church. They don't build up the church. They do not build up the church. They just like to start fights. Notice here... Uh, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. It says here, verse 12 and 13, These are men who are hidden wreaths in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear. This is most likely after communion. You remember like how we had communion and then we had a potluck? That's probably exactly what the uh, Christians did. Okay? They, would, uh, they would take the bread, they would take the wine, they would remember Christ, and then they'd have a meal together. What the Bible is saying is these people would come and look like Christians, smell like Christians, and not be Christians. And they, he calls them like reefs, a hidden reefs to your love feast. Now, a hidden reef in nautical terms was very dangerous. I remember when we were in India and I was doing some snorkeling on this island, and we saw a ship, and we got to, you had to hold your breath for a long time, and we went through it, right? I had a friend who was... Who, who did it first. I waited for him to do it to make sure he survived. If he could do it, I could do it. Then I could do it, right? I'm not going to do it until he did it, right? So he did it, right? And then I went through it. But I read this history on this boat, and this boat 
did not know that there was a reef underneath. It looked like it was deep. And it cut a hole in the boat, and two people died. And so this ship is lying underwater with fish all around it. See, what God is saying is, be careful, okay? They come right in. They look, it looks all safe from the surface, but they're dangerous. Be careful. They do not build up the church, they destroy. They are also self-centered. The word there is they care for themselves. That word means, literally, it's the same word for shepherding. They shepherd only themselves. And this is the attitude. They go, well, I'm going to church, but what's in it for me? What can they do for me? How can they serve me? That's exactly the mentality. How can this church serve? Well, this church is not giving me what I want. I need to go to another church because I need to get what I want they're self-centered. The Bible says they're clouds without water. That means they, are empty, they have empty promises. They come, clouds without water. The farmers are expecting rain, just like we have been, right? Because of the drought. The clouds come, we want rain, we need rain. But they come, and then they go, and there's no rain. They're empty promises. They're vain Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Not only are they a bad tree that doesn't have any fruit, but the tree has been uprooted and it falls to the side. And so Jude says it's doubly dead. It's dead because there's no fruit. It's dead because there's no life. It's doubly dead. It's a law. He says that's what they are. He also says that they, they have turmoil. They become with turmoil. They're wild waves of the sea. They're temporary. This is what I've noticed, too. I've noticed this, that people, false teachers, apostates, people who fall away, they're typically temporary. They come and they go. They're like a flash in the pan. They're wandering stars. It's like a comet, okay, from when the black darkness has come. They don't build up the church. And let me um, uh, keep going here. They heap judgment on themselves. Notice it says here, verse 14 and 15, these men that Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many judgments of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There is judgment that is to come and what, what is happening is Christ, uh, they are heaping judgment on themselves. Notice that Christ will come with thousands of his holy ones. Six, they threaten the unity of the church. Now, this is huge. Verse 16. This is, how they, this is how they operate, okay? They threaten the unity of the church. And this is how, this is kind of their uh, mentality. This is what they think. They may not even say it out loud, but they say, they don't know what it means to follow God, but I do. You know, that's kind of like what they say. They don't know what it means to follow God, but I do. And the way... They get in and they mess up the unity of the church is one, first, constant complaining. Constant complaining. Right? They keep picking at this. They say, there's not enough evangelism or not enough outreach to homeless or you're not doing this or you're not doing that. There's constant complaining. Notice he says here, they're grumblers who find fault. Then, also, 
It's by uncontrolled passion. It says here, they follow their own lusts. They could be after money. Okay? Lust is all, all lust is is a strong desire. They could be after money. Again, our friend Creflo Dollar, he said two, two months ago that Jesus died so that we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. He said that. The reason why he died is so you can lay claim to financial prosperity. That is foul. That is blasphemous. And then he had this promo of, of raising funds because he wants a new Jetstream luxury plane. It's only $65 million. So he has this promo, and he's saying, this is what we need to do to, to operate. You need to give me $65 million. He's following after his lust. They threaten the unity of the church because they follow after their lust. It could be after immorality. It could be after power. There's a... Lastly, it says, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. How do they threaten the unity of the church? They sweet talk. They sweet talk you. And a lot of times, a lot of times the people who will destroy the unity of a church are those who are really, really nice. Follow me. Talk really, really nice. It says here they speak arrogantly, but they flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And this is what they do. You know what? You would do a better job than that. You should do it. Or you know what? Why don't we do this? Who cares what they say? Let's just do this. Or they flatter you to get you on their side. And now, the reason why... The reason why I say all these things, and the reason why God, God is saying all these things, here are six telltale signs of an apostate. One, they think they have special revelation. Two, they believe their ideas are better than God's. Three, they repeat the sin of rebellion. Four, they do not build up the church. Five, they heap judgment on themselves. Six, they threaten the unity of the church. And if I were to leave it here... You would say, okay, that's good. Now I have the armor. I'm ready to go. I can recognize this. I'm not going to be, I'm not gonna be uh, twisted or changed or manipulated by them. But you know what? This is not enough. It's not enough simply to recognize. After recognizing apostates, and this is going to be our next passage. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to preach on it now. I'll preach on it next Sunday, but... I want to end with this, and we want to end with Christ, amen? Because this, this stuff is just ugly. I just don't want to hear about heretics and teachers. But what now? It's not enough just to recognize false teachers. Look at verse 17. There are four things. There are four aspects you need to hold of Christ, okay? Number, number one, I'm just going to introduce this as food for thought for the next time. Okay, verse 17, remember Christ's teaching. Verse 17, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember sound doctrine. That's how you battle apostasy. Number 2, verse 21, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. So remember Christ's teaching, remain in Christ's love. Be diligent, brothers and sisters. Fight for this. Fight for joy in Christ. Fight for it, that you would stay in it. And the way you do that is in verse 20. Building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Remain in Christ's love. That's what keeps you hot for Christ. Verse 22. Rescue from Christ's judgment. It says, have mercy on some who are doubting and save others, snatching them out of the fire. So how do you stay hot and how do you stay away from apostasy? One, you remember Christ's teaching, you remain in Christ's love, and you rescue people out of judgment. You know that they're in judgment. And lastly, verse 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, you rest in Christ's power. Rest in Christ's power. We're going to go through that a little bit more next time. But brothers and sisters, that's the diagnosis of an apostate. This is how you could see that. And what do you do? You notice it. You understand it. You understand the false doctrine. And you run to Christ. You run to Christ. You run away and you run to Christ. Don't let these attitudes bubble up in your hearts. In your minds. Don't let the grumbling and the complaining and the manipulative speech and the flattering, don't let it be part of it. Run to Christ. Remain in His love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you've protected us and you've caused us to see truth. And I'm so grateful that our brothers and sisters here, um, that they can see truth, they can see Christ, they can see your teachings. And they can discern. But Father, I pray that we would grow even more in this. Would you protect us, protect our, our youth. And God, would you bring us more people, uh, as Jude says, to help them, to snatch them out of the fire by the power of Christ. To show them what, who Christ really is. To not be manipulative, but to simply let the Spirit do His work. We pray, Father, that you would do your mighty, mighty work. We love you and we praise you for this Sunday. Help us now.